I'm going to talk about today, uh, I put an outline together for you, and I'm going to talk a little bit today from what I believe may be, and, and many, maybe most think, is the most important passage in the Old Testament. Does that catch your attention? Maybe it does. Deuteronomy 6, I want you to go there with me. We're going to be there in just a little bit. And we're going to talk about, I've given you a little bit this morning, of our family's story, our current story. If you're around me very much, you know that I talk a lot about my mom and my dad. And I talk about a lot about Skip, our grandfather. We talked about him buying a goat this week. Uh, every winter he bought a goat. And uh, he'd go to ta- what you What was it you said when you'd go visit? He'd buy a goat, keep it a week, and take it back? He'd buy two. And he got he, for 50 cents and took them back and got his 50 cents back at the end of the week. Okay. That's when you visited. I, I, remember him, I remember he would buy a goat and my dad on the way to church would have to stop and milk the thing because he thought, you know, the milk was going to get him through the winter. And uh, uh, that happened lots of times um, in the wintertime. Okay. So you've heard some of my story and some of my family's story. And you continue to hear uh, the, those things about me because the truth is, isn't it? that every family has a story. It's interesting, as I was visiting with Paul this week, he was asking me about my relationship with you all. My relationships, plural. And how we, at least seemingly, connect pretty closely. My answer to that has been, and was with him this week, that for most of you, we've been through something together. Lynetta, we've been through several somethings together, not in, including this current one. Uh, I, I, I think, Bill, you and I have been through lots of things together. Mikey, you and I have been through lots of things together. And, of course, this is family right here. We've, we've been, I've known you ever since I've been Duran Barat. So a lot of us have been through something together. And, and we kind of, we connect that way. You become not only a part of this church, but then you become, in, in some ways, a part of my story. And hopefully I become uh, a part of your story. So that's, everybody's got a story, and we've all got a family story, and you have become a part of my story. Now, what we're going to talk about today is, this, is the family in the Bible, the, um, the uh, God's family, obviously has a story as well. Much of it is included in the narrative sections of uh, the Old Testament and certainly the, the Gospels. But um, they would realize that they need to pass along the story well if the family, if God's family and their faith are going to survive. So uh, what I believe is the most important part of their story is our lesson for today. And so if you'll go with me to Deuteronomy 6, we're going to read actually the first uh, nine verses or so, and then I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Steve, can I just get you to read all nine of those verses, and then we'll just kind of unpack it as we go. Long 
Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Okay, now. Let me give you a little bit of, by the way, did some of that sound familiar? Uh, um, the most important verse of scripture in the Old Testament probably is 6-4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Uh, we're going to talk about the importance of that in a minute. But uh, So the truth is, it matters what you believe. And, um, and so occasionally we've got to back up a little bit and ask, what do we collectively value? What do we collectively as a church and as a people believe uh, and then uh, the truth is if we can kind of come to terms with most of that at least then we can join hands John Wesley said if you believe and I believe that we can join join hands and go there together that's really really important um, and, and we'll talk a little bit about about that particular thing so um, today um, in this section the word Deuteronomy literally means something like second law uh, they are parked, they're camped just on the edge of the promised land, getting ready to move in. Moses is getting ready to pass from the scene, and he's getting ready to pass leadership on to his second in command, a man by the name, a good and godly leader by the name of Joshua. Uh, that's kind of where they are. They're preparing for entering that promised land. The book itself only covers about 60 days, about two months. And um, including, believe it or not, the 30 days, one month, where they have stopped and they're mourning the loss of Moses or the death of Moses. So only, it really covers a short amount of time, but it's kind of, you could say, this is Moses' last word, and he's going to make sure that the people get what's most important about the law that they've already set out while they were uh, uh, wandering around in the wilderness. The book, here's what you can start your outline with. The book is about obedience. It is about uh, a loving obedience, an appeal for spiritual life and for um, uh, listening and responding. Uh, I once heard, uh, believe it or not, Ted Koppel say, the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. These are not suggestions. They're, they, are, uh, they are legally binding in some ways. They're, um, uh, what he talks about in the book of Deuteronomy, which much of it is, is a recount of what he talked about in Exodus and in Numbers and Leviticus, uh, a lot of that has great bearing on um, our legal system in this country and in, and in most of the world. So it couldn't be more important. All right? Now, Moses is preparing to pass the baton to Joshua, who's his second in command. And what you and I need to know, if we're trying to put value to this passage in particular, what you and I need to know is that Jesus supremely valued this book. 
Um, if I gave you the, in fact, did I put them on your outline? Yeah. 8, 3, 6, 26, 6, 13, 10, 20 are all places where Jesus quoted Deuteronomy. Uh, 8, 3 in particular, if you want to just look over a, a, a page or so, if your Bible's like mine, look at 8, 3. Uh, he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man doesn't live by bread alone. Have you heard that before? In Luke 4 and in Matthew 4, Jesus, when being tempted uh, during that 40-day fast in the, in the desert and being tempted by the devil, quotes 8.3. Um, man doesn't live by bread alone. You remember that? He used God's word to, to, to defeat Satan in that time of temptation. So you'll recognize here, um, and, and as I begin to look, there's several passages that Jesus quotes in the Gospels, that tells me that he had great value for this. In fact, we'll use his words. So kind of put your fingers in Mark 12, 30. We'll get there in a little bit where Jesus helps us understand Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 in a way that, that we really, really need in order to catch it. He valued this. Now, what you and I need to catch here is that they are looking at the promised land. They're almost there. And Moses says, okay, i got to reiterate some things with you before you get there. Some things that are of supreme value and importance. And so he gives them this book of Deuteronomy. Now, so we're going to come back here a little bit. I've give, given you a little bit of an overview. Let me read to you again verse 4 and 5. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. If Moses were standing in front of us today, he would say, Hear, O crossings, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Honestly, in Old Testament context, if they really caught this, they would have gotten in no trouble. They knew it, but they didn't catch it to the degree that they need to catch it. Um, this is the central prayer of all Judaism today. Not just then, but today. It's what they all pray. The first word of this verse 4 is the word here. Here. And that word uh, maintained its original language is the word Shema. Hear me. Here. This passage is actually called uh, by Jews, Jewish people the Shema. Here. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That's the most important thing they would ever hear in their lifetime. Now, in a few words, these express the most important ideas in the Old Testament religion and in the Old Testament. It was quoted at the beginning of each day and at the end of each day. There's a saying by the rabbis, blessed are we who every morning and evening say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. What we believe matters. What we believe matters. If not, otherwise, we'll be uh, scouring the church, looking for... Uh, 
maybe a, a portrait of Marty somewhere that's got olive oil flowing out of his tear ducts, okay? You read that in the paper yesterday, okay? All right, I'm not taking people's, but what you believe matters, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, look at yesterday's paper. It's about, uh, uh, um, and this is in Hobbs, New Mexico, I think, and uh, there people are coming from all over the place to see a statue that's crying olive oil, and I'm thinking, okay, if you need that, but so what I'm saying is, what you believe matters. Don't be scouring this church looking for a picture of Marty that's crying olive oil, okay? It's probably not going to happen, all right? I don't think, Louise, that it's going to happen to you. I, you know, we'll see. Maybe they got that. I'm going to Edmond to church today. Maybe they got it up there. Okay. Um, we're all in this together. Uh, Moses is very concerned about this because as they were traveling through the wilderness and as they go into the promised land, they're going to be young people charging ahead. And he's going to have to say, hang on, wait a minute, slow down. Meanwhile, they're going to be people like me back here. And he's going to have to say, come on, you guys need to catch up. Because he realized that if we're going to get to the promised land, we're only going to get there together. Do you, those of you that, for whom this fits, and I know there's probably not very many of you, but it fits me. Are you using your senior citizen's discount occasionally? It's kind of cool, Sally, you know. I, I was in Stevensville a couple weeks ago, uh, in Michigan a couple weeks ago, and I went into McDonald's and I thought, I'll just see what a senior coffee costs. Oh, this is a great deal. Yeah. But what I realize is that when we go somewhere as a family, all the, the 30-some-year-olds, and especially the kids, are screaming way ahead of me now, Paul, catch up. Don't you know that that's what Moses' experience was every day? Hey, you guys up there, slow down. Keep the group together. You folks, close the ranks a little. If we're going to get to the promised land, we need to get there together. So belief has something to do with that. Now, um, what I want us to talk about in, in our time that we've got left is what the baton is and how to pass it. Okay, What the baton is and how to pass it. What are they to do? If you read verse 4 and 5, um, the Lord is one, love him. We're going to deal with that in just a minute. But we're going to deal with the passing of this baton. I've got a, uh, Rhonda has a nephew who is um, a, a dear soul. He lives in a place called Parsons, Kansas. He's six foot seven and about that thick. And uh, he's uh, two or three years younger than Jake. He and Jake grew up kind of really close. It's, it's, uh, uh, his last name is Rushing. It's, it's Rhonda's, Rhonda's brother's son. And uh, he went to a Missouri Southern, to a D2 NCAA school on a track scholarship, believe it or not, because he was a high jumper. He was an all-American high jumper in high school. And, uh, but when I watched this kid jump, I thought, uh, this is a no-brainer. He can just kind of step over the bar. I mean, you, his legs are way long, and, you know, and, and uh, so it was interesting to watch watch Kyler do a Fosbury flop over a, uh, a seven one bar or seven two bar because it was you know it was just here on him. I mean, it, 
like me, I would have to get a ladder and jump over. And uh, so, but what I found out, I, in fact, I went to a couple of track meets at OU where they competed. What I found out is the Tyler wasn't just a jumper, he was a runner. And he, it's kind of amazing for a guy that's tall and really, really skinny. But he was on a national championship a 4 by 400 relay team that went like to Boston for the national finals and all this kind of stuff. I would watch, the, and, and I was just astounded. I knew he could jump. I knew, I knew he could play basketball and those kind of things. But they would hand him the baton, and he'd set the track on fire. This kid is so fast that he can turn out the lights and be in bed before it gets dark. Okay, but what I realized is I was as I was because I'd never been kind of into the the whole uh, 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 relay team thing. Is that passing the baton is kind of a big deal? In fact, what I didn't understand is if you drop it, you don't just pick it up and go on. If you drop it, you're disqualified. You're done. So the passing of the baton is a really really big deal. Um, um, uh, the, it's kind of an interesting thing. So um, uh, you, you can't just kind of pick it up and, and run on. You're disqualified. A, a, a leadership guru by the name of Bruce Miller wrote this. Leadership is more like a baton than a trophy. You keep a trophy, but you hand off a baton. Uh, John, it's what... Uh, Jordan Spieth is dealing with right now. He got a trophy this time last year. He didn't want to give it up. Uh, he didn't want to give up the claret jug. Because don't we have a tendency to want to get a trophy, put it on the mantle, and hang on to it? But as a church, as a group, we can't really do that. We've got to pass it on. And the key to whether or not our faith is real and growing and vital is whether or not we pass it along well. I will attend the church in Edmond today, and I recognize that that building, the people that gather there, are part of one of the ways that this church is passing the baton to another generation. I sat in a hospital room this week with a dear friend and at St. Anthony Hospital, and I'm sitting at 10th and Chartel, and I realize that at 10th and Chartel, the parking garage where I parked was where the original First Church of God, Oklahoma City, was. And it was, it was at 10th and Northwest, 10th and Chartel. And that address stuck so much that people would either call it 10th and Chartel or just Chartel. And now that's where this concert is going to be tonight. Is at the Chartel. They kept the name, even though they're at 119th and Western. But what I realized is that a group from that church started this one. A group that went to that church, Janet, you and I were around, not, well, several years after that, wasn't it? But we know the story. They started this church, uh, Dorothy Gard, OA Gard, started uh, thinking about, how about a church on the northwest side of Oklahoma City? And this church started from that. So they passed the baton. It's, it's really vitally important. Now, I, I want you to look at a place. Um, I, I want you to go the next book to the right. Because this is really important for us to catch. Did they, I want you to get, um, actually two books, Judges 2, 
Judges 2. And I want you to look at verse 8. Okay. Did Moses pass the baton well? I'm going to tell you he did. He chose a great and godly man by the name of Joshua who did well for the next 40 years or more. But look at Judges 2 verse 8. What happens when Joshua is handed the baton? Look at verse 8. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territories of his inheritance in Timnath Haras in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. That scare you like it does me? It's very important to me that as we gathered eating a hot dog last night in my, in my uh, dining room, that we prayed, that we stopped. It's very important because I want the Seton name to continue to be a family of faith. I, I want the baton to be passed well. Evidently, Joshua, who had received the baton well, didn't pass it all that well. So what I want to ask you is this question as we deal with the baton and how we're going to pass it. Whose responsibility is it? Well, the truth is, it's the responsibility of both the one passing the baton and the one receiving the baton. The one passing the baton, um, uh, the one passing the baton has to make sure that the baton is not dropped before it's passed and the next generation has to keep running all the way till the baton is firmly in their hand before they take off running. Really, really important. So let's deal with just for just a minute. By the way, let me ask the question. So are you a baton passer? Are you a baton receiver? I, I'm going to submit to you that for most of us in this room, it's coming to your time to be a baton passer. How well are you doing with that? Are you hanging on to it? Are you nurturing that? Now, I want you to look at verse 4 and 5 in particular because I believe that 4 and 5 constitute the baton for Moses, for the Old Testament, for all that generation of people, for Joshua's generation as well. It's this wonderful truth, and I'm going to give you just real quickly the who, the how, and the when. Okay, the who, let me read it to you one more time from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, so uh, uh, first of all, only one God. Okay, um, and you won't hear this language from any other prince or king or princess or queen in all of history. Our king, the Lord God Almighty, says, I am God, I'm the Lord alone. Love me. Does that do anything for you? It does for me. It's, it's unique. It's a unique relational thing. The nature of our relationship with him is, I am only one, love me. We're called to service to a king, that's important, but that service to a king who has shown that he loves us and that he invites us to enter into a loving relationship with him. One God alone, they missed that somehow. 
That whole next generation missed it after Joshua. Love me. There's only one of me. Love me. Very true. Second, I'm to love him, okay, to serve him, to believe in this. This is still part of the baton with my whole heart, with my heart, with my will, with my mind. Now, did you, did you put your finger in Mark 12, 30? Like I asked you to about 10 minutes ago. You, you, you've had other thoughts since then, maybe. Somebody read it. Mark 12, 30. This is Jesus. He's using Deuteronomy 6. What's he say? Now, if you compare our text for today, the word mind is not in there. Has that ever bothered you? Did Jesus not get a gold star for memorizing the Shema like he was supposed to, you know, in Joseph's living room? No. Smartest man that ever lived. What he has done here is given us an interpretation that's very important because he's the living word of God. And he says, he uses, adds the word mind here. Do you catch that? What the word, reason he adds the word mind is because when the Bible says, love the Lord with all your heart, it's a combination of your mind and your will. It's what your heart is. The choices I make, what down deep is valuable to me. And so he says, with all your heart, which means with your will and with your mind, you're to love me. Basically, with all. All of you. And then he's going to tell us when. And if you read verse 7, 8, and 9, there's this beautiful little paragraph in there about you are to love me and talk about me here and here and here. If uh, he were in my family, he would say, when you go to church, but also when you go to Aldi. It's not Aldi's, by the way. When you go to Walmart's, he would say that. You know, he would say that. <laughs> Do you put an extra S on stuff like my family does? Let's go to Aldi's. There's no S on there. Let's go to Walmart's, my dad used to say, you know, okay? Wherever you go, you talk about him. Wherever you go, you remember him all the time. Now, I read a few weeks ago about this issue of when the instruction of a child really was to start. When did they first start teaching the children what the baton was and how important it was to get that ingrained so they could pass it? And the truth is that what they wanted is for a child's first waking thoughts of their consciousness. Before they could even speak, they wanted us to understand what, or begin to understand, what the baton was, what this important passage was. Um, and, and what I began to read is that what they thought was that the child would be, um, be become interested in uh, what I used here at the, at the bottom of your outline, uh, the mezuzah. Now, the mezuzah is not medusa. That's a totally different deal. Don't, don't get lost there. Okay. It's a mezuzah. What it was was the, it was this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and another little passage in Deuteronomy 11, and um, 22 lines of scripture in Hebrew, 
and they would be written and folded, neatly folded, and placed inside a, um, um, a box, a, a polished silver box or a metal case, and they would place it on the doorpost, eye level. Okay, so imagine a pencil box or something, but it's, it's, it's metal and it, it's a shiny metal. And inside these, these important 22 lines of scripture, the most important words that they knew were placed in there. And what I began to see is that, and I began to think about Finn, who's 18 months old and um, can run a blue streak already, and he's starting to talk, so watch out. But when I'm holding them in my arms, can you imagine as I came in the door, as I left the door, now the mezuzah is eye level with him. What's that? And he would watch me because the rabbis say that this was the process. This is what they did to remember. The head of the family, the men of the family, as they left, as they went in, and as they... Uh, as, as they came in and as they went. That's what Psalm 122.8 is referring to, uh, the blessing of your going out and your coming in. As they left, they would touch the, the heads of the family, the men in the family, would touch the mezuzah. And they would kiss the finger. And these little children would watch that. And maybe they touched it too. What was in it? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love him. Talk about him. Serve him. Now, it sounds like this was really, really important to them. In fact, uh, when Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, they've gotten this all confused, and they begin to hang boxes from their head, and it, you know. It was never intended to be abused in the, in, the, in the sense of the phylacteries that they did in the New Testament. But the mezuzah was continuing to be, especially with, with uh, uh, pharisaical families, was a very important part of their, uh, their lives together and certainly of passing along their faith. So here's my question. What's your baton? What are you going to pass along? And what are your mezuzahs? What are the touch points that you're going to use to teach? This time of year, I remember a story uh, that was told at my, uh, my uncle's, my last of, of that generation on my mother's side. I remember a story that was given to me to read at his uh, memorial service. His name was Earl, and uh, he was dear to me. He was a uh, Phillips uh, field rep, lived in Maysville, huge guy. But he was the last one of that generation on my mom's side to, to live. And I remember his granddaughter gave me, uh, gave me this kind of tribute to read, and I had scanned it, but I hadn't really read it. And I, my words caught in my mouth in my throat as I got to one very important part for, for her, for Christy who wrote my grandpa taught me to love the 
Now, how would you fill that in? What went in the blank for her was, my grandpa taught me to love the lake. Nothing wrong with the lake. But I want my grandkids to say, my grandpa taught me to love the Lord. He showed us. He talked to us about it. He modeled it for us. He loved us. He made us muffins before we went off to Sunday school. Who was asking me about that? You guys are asking about that. What's your mezuzah? How are you going to pass it along? What's the touch point going to be? And what's going to be in it? What is the baton that you will pass? Let me tell you this. We've just gone through a period of time where we've celebrated the, the uh, beginning of this country. If you want to remember Independence Day, you light a firecracker, right? If you want your faith to be remembered, you're going to have to have a mezuzah. A touch point. And the most important things that you know need to be distilled in there and taught and retaught and retaught.